Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right. Good morning, guys. Ooh, I'm a little warm. That's all right. <clears throat> Still figuring out. Week two in the space. Man, I'm excited. You guys look great in here, by the way. Uh, you looked fine at Lake, but much better here. I don't know. Something about the lighting. Like, it's just, it's good. It's good. Uh, yeah, I have a bit of news to share with you from Jesus today. Uh, news, I think, is a weird thing that we've kind of become completely numb to. Uh, you know, like you might hear the word news and you might like have like a weird response to that. Like we think differently about the news now than we did maybe a generation ago. I think about how weird it is to be like a newscaster in this day and age because you're like up there and you're like, uh, today's top story is uh, 14 toddlers died in a bus crash. And it was really dark and scary. And there was a veteran that was driving them, the last remaining veteran of World War I. And he actually had an engagement ring in his pocket. He was about to finally pop the question to the love of his life. Truly, truly a tragic story. Our hearts and minds go out with them. Uh, next up in news, though, is that the McRib is back, right? And you got to make that, like, weird transition. And they're like, our reporter in the field is there. Bill, how's it looking out there? Old oh, people love the McRib. You know how it's going, right? And I think, like, I know none of us actually watch the news anymore. Are there any, like, let's do even show of hands. Are there news people out there? Does anybody watch the nightly news? We won't judge you. We're proud of you if you do. All right, I got one hand out of this entire room, okay? And that's good. I'm proud. Okay, some, some reluctant ones in the back. Finally, like, yes, we're news people, all right? Uh, most of us get our news from, like, social media or just through the air, or most of us are just not aware. It's safer that way to just be like, I don't know what's happening, right? Uh, or maybe even a newspaper. I don't I think they still make those. I've seen them, you know? Like, uh, they're out there on the ground, at least. I don't know who's actually reading them. All that being said... It's tricky, I think. Your social feed might say something like this, like somebody's telling you the worst news that you've ever heard, and then somebody else is making pasta. And those two things are like right next to each other, and then the next video is someone who's doing a response video to the pasta video, and then someone else has auto-tuned that response video, and now it's a viral dance trend, right? And all of that is your news. And I'm saying all of that to say, like, everything that I just laid out as an example is like at least somewhat interesting to us, right? Like. All this different news that we're getting is like things that should interest us. And yet, we hear so many interesting things that it's probably difficult for many of us to sort through what is truly interesting and what is not. Today we are talking about some serious news that Jesus has for us. And the challenge is going to be finding a way with your own mind to actually break through all of the noise and all of the other news that you're hearing and actually like let it sink in that this is maybe the most important news that you could ever hear. I'm not sure if we're even up to the challenge, but we're going to give it a shot. And we're doing something a little bit weird this morning. Uh, I wasn't just trying to like pull a fast prank on Cash to make him read a bunch of random scriptures, okay? Uh, here at Dwell, we like to go through the books of the Bible. We like to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and hear what Jesus has for us. And we do that for a very important reason. Uh, we do that so it like keeps us on track. So it's not just me getting up here and talking about whatever random nonsense that I heard about this week. It's also, it keeps us from like picking little like hobby horse verses in scripture and being like, hey, I want to preach about this because I like it. It makes me feel good, but I don't ever want to talk about that. 
So instead, we go verse by verse, passage by passage, and try and check out what God has for us in his word. Today, what we're doing is we're jumping a little bit around because Jesus here is rolling a bunch of parables out at the same time. And he actually has two, the two that we read today, the parable of the weeds and uh, the parable of the fish that kind of fit in together. I also figured in honor of a certain holiday this past week that we would start with the parable of the weeds, right? No, come on. That, that one's, uh, it sinks in. It takes a minute, all right? Is that inappropriate? I'm sorry. I'm a little fast and loose in this new space. Now, <clears throat> it's not that kind of weed, but... As we remember from last week, uh, Jesus started his like passage of parables. A parable is a real-life story that tells a spiritual reality. A real-life story that tells a spiritual reality. And today, our two parables are telling us maybe the most important news that you'll ever hear. So let's start with the second one. In verse 47 through 50, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels came out and separate the, or the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I know if you're anything like me, you have a lot of questions after reading that, right? But at the end of the day, in spite of all of our questions about like the how and the why, I just want you to ask yourself the question, does it like make sense? Like, do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying at the end of time, the angels will separate the righteous from the evil and throw the evil into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, you don't have to do some sort of like huge deep dive in scripture. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand what Jesus is saying here. That's really the beauty of the parables, that they're simple and they're easy to understand. Now, you may not understand how all that works and what's going on and all the things about heaven and hell, but you can at least understand that Jesus here is saying that there will at one point be a separation. So... Let's hold that in our minds, and let's actually compare it to the first parable. I'm not going to read it again. I'm just going to read the explanation. Verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. They were confused, just like you and me. And they, he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, talking about himself. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of, my, uh, sons of the kingdom. So people who are followers of Jesus, uh, elsewhere, he refers to them as sons of God, sons of the kingdom. Then he goes on, he said, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all, kind, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, let's just have a hard stop right here. Without any biblical deep dive, without any deep study, without any exegesis, we need no language, we need no explanations. It's easy to see here that Jesus believes and is telling other people that the final result of every member of humanity is headed towards one of two endings. Jesus here refers to them as the fiery furnace and the kingdom of their father. You may know them better as hell and heaven. Now, I want us just to sit with that for a moment. 
Because very often in life, we try and avoid the things that make us uncomfortable, right? Like we've like made that almost like a sport in modern living, right? We're trying to get away from the things that are difficult for us to cope with. Sometimes we joke about it. Sometimes we try and make light of it. Sometimes we just try and ignore that it's there. That's why many of us don't even watch the news, right? There, here, Jesus is giving us a hard reality that is going to cause you to have to respond to it in some way. This truth should be hard to us. This truth should cause us to pause. This truth should break us down that the end of all humanity is either heaven or hell. <clears throat> this flies in the face of some ideas that people have had about heaven and hell. And Jesus here, in a very simple way, uh, is sort of like denying those ideas. The first idea is that Jesus didn't believe in hell. Uh, scholars, uh, both in modern times but also throughout history, have tried to sort of make that an argument. Uh, there was a book that came out that was pretty popular like 10 years ago called Love Wins uh, that sort of popularized this idea. But really, it's an idea that pops up every couple of or or generations throughout Christianity, right? That maybe there just isn't a hell that doesn't exist. Now, I don't want to like spend 10 minutes like tearing down this idea or anything like that. If you're really interested in it, I'd love to talk to you more about it. And really, uh, even that book, Love Wins, like had some really solid points. Like Jesus is not thinking about hell in usually the same way that we're thinking about hell. Uh, that might be more informed by, like, Dante's Inferno and stuff like that. But what I'm trying to say is, like, if you read a passage like this, you in some ways have to be working pretty hard to come up with an option where what Jesus is saying here is not that there's going to be, like, a final sorting and that for people that are following Jesus, it'll go well, and for people that are not following Jesus, it won't go well. Like, you have to be reaching pretty far, I think, to end up with that kind of alternative explanation if you're actually reading these passages. The second idea that this confronts about heaven and hell is that we all end up going to heaven. Jesus doesn't seem to leave so many possibilities here. Now, it might be a little unclear as to what the end of the age is. I think it just sort of is a good uh, exchange word for, like, the end of time. But you could also think of it like there's these grand ages of time. So you have, like, Adam and Eve time, the Old Testament time. You have Jesus time. And then finally, the kingdom of God time. When this Jesus and sort of, you know, living after Jesus, which is the time that we're in, ends, God will usher in the kingdom of God time when his kingdom is fully recognized and he gathers him, his people to himself. And at that time... There seems to be no more option for changing sides, right? The fish doesn't have an option which bucket it gets sorted into. The weeds and the wheat don't have an option for which place they're getting thrown into. They are not active pieces of this story. This is the news that Jesus has for us, and it is simply that news, that you and everyone you have ever known will either be with Jesus for eternity or you won't. I've talked about this already a little bit today, but you know why it's difficult for some of us for this to, like, sink in? It is just because we hear that information all the time. Somebody at any given moment is just trying to tell you, like, the worst news that you've ever heard. And I don't want to get into something that's obviously, like, culturally charged and it's just going to create a lot of unnecessary division in the room. But have you ever heard somebody, like, talk about climate change? Like, man, you, like, hear it long enough, and, like I, don't, like I said, I'm not trying to, like, shape your views about climate change, but every single person that talks to you about it is, like, man, the world is going to come to an end, and your, your, uh, your kids are going to be living in, like, a fiery hellscape. And then you hear that, like, 50 times a day, and then all of a sudden you're like, 
I'm kind of tired of this. I don't know. Like, what's on Netflix right now? Like, that's kind of like the nature of living right now. We have a friend uh, who is, like, a part of this, like, think tank at one of, like, the world's premier, uh, like, or, uh, universities, right? And they're, like, trying to stop the end of the world. And, like, she's been on this climate change. She's telling us about forever chemicals and just couldn't understand why, like, her nephew wouldn't or her her sister or somebody related to her wouldn't buy this like special water filter to get out the forever chemicals. And she's like, I'm an expert. I'm at the top. I'm telling you right now, this isn't like some sort of crazy fake news. Like get those forever chemicals out. And I'm like, it's just fatigue, right? We're all just sort of like tired. There's too much sort of crazy and bad news. And I'm recognizing that because that's happening in me as I'm reading this text where I'm like reading along and I'm like prepping, okay, this week's sermon's coming up. And I read this text and I'm like, okay, another like funny story from Jesus. Let's see what it says, right? When really this should be like hard stop, big pause. There is a heaven, there is a hell, and every single person that has ever existed is going to one of those places. You've got to recognize the way that like information is shaping your world so that you can let this sink in. Do whatever you need to do in this moment to let this sink into your heart. <clears throat> if this is news, then you have to do something with it. You have to do something with it. So what we're going to do with the rest of our time today is just look at some of the options you have. First off, you can deny it. You can say, hey, I don't think that this is true. Uh, this was actually the option that a lot of the people that were listening to Jesus heard or hearing him, this is what they decided. They just said, nope, don't buy it. Not into that. That's how the Pharisees were sort of reacting to Jesus. I talked about this a little bit last week, but Matthew 13 actually represents like a stark shift in sort of the ministry of Jesus because now he is starting to tell these stories about people that are with him and people that are not with him. Before, he was just like, hey, I'm going to speak truth. You can either accept it or deny it. And then last week, we talked about the separation or the, the different seeds that were on different soils. And this week, he's talking about an actual separation of people that are not with him. And he's saying, like, hey, it's a legitimate option for you to just say, like, no, I don't believe any of this stuff. This is a thing that has been present throughout society for since the dawn of humanity, really. You could even say, like, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try, right? Like, why is that such a popular song? Have you ever met, like, a more religiously charged song? Like, uh, it, I think the only real competitor is, like, I'm all of these questions in my crooked mind. You know that one? The less I seek my source. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So all that being said is, like, why is, like, uh, John Lennon's song, like, why is that so popular? He's taking some really hot takes there. No heaven, no hell. Like, he's, like, he's proselytizing, and we just, like, use it as background music in restaurants. So you could use that as your option, right? You could deny that any of this. I'm sorry for that tangent. Anyway. Here are three quick reasons. I don't want to spend too, too long on this, but I just want to share for you personally why I cannot take that option. So the option here is denying what Jesus is saying here, denying that there is even an existence of heaven and hell. Here are three reasons why I cannot do that. The first is the historicity of Jesus. Now, historicity is like a cool word you can use to impress your friends. It basically just means the historical reliability of Jesus. Did you know that we have more literary and textual evidence that Jesus was a real person than we have for Homer? 
So, you know, Homer, he wrote the Odyssey, like, you know, he has all these statues and stuff like that, big curly beard, you know who I'm talking about, right? And yet, there's all these people that are like, I don't know if Jesus really existed, I don't know if he's really a real thing, and yet we have more writings that date closer to the actual life of Jesus than we do of Homer. Now, that gives me a little bit of, like, encouragement here, right? We also have all kinds of accounts of the lives and deaths of his numerous followers, all 12 of his closest followers, who were like the people that stayed with him the most, uh, we have pretty fairly historical evidence to be able to say that all of them died for sharing this message that they have, for sharing this news. And it really just seems crazy to me. It seems like you're making a little bit of a leap to think that Jesus could have made all of this up and tricked this many people, or that the 12 disciples all sort of colluded together to spread this big lie and were eventually killed for it. I mean, you might, like, uh, you might lie to try and gain some sort of status or following or power or money in life. You don't usually lie so that you can end up hanging on a cross, right? Like, that's not a wise choice to make. And we have numerous accounts of people doing this right at the same time of Jesus. And also, the way that it spread across the world so rapidly in the midst of persecution, it really... On a balance of logic, at least for me, as much as I have studied, do your own research 100%, but for me, on balance, it would make more sense that this story is true than it is untrue. If you don't like that argument, here's another one. This is why I can't deny it. The beauty of the soul. The soul or the you part of you is too beautiful to simply be the result of random atoms colliding in space. It doesn't make sense to me that humanity is this complex and wonderful to just return to the ground, right, and just be sort of nothing. If you've ever seen, like, Vincent van Gogh's sunflower paintings, then you know what I mean. The odds that a Big Bang would come and they'd create the universe, which maybe you could still be a Christian and believe the Big Bang, I don't know, that's all complex, but I'm not going to go there. But the odds that these atoms would just collide with each other and then it would lead to our planet and then there'd be these little amoeba crawling up out of the steam and then monkeys would come and they'd get smarter and smarter until humans came and we would have had civilization for 10,000 years and then the right combination of family dynamics, paint technology, depression, uh, drug use would lead this one man to paint this very beautiful painting. It seems like a stretch to me, right? Like the odds that there is actually a God in control of this whole thing seem like a safer bet than to just say something like that. Is it on the screen? I can't even see. Something like that would even, no, not on the screen. Something like that would even possibly just sort of pop up. Just imagine it in your mind. It's a good painting. So picture a good painting in your mind. The odds that something like that could just sort of like happen randomly seems like a stretch. Now that doesn't necessarily lead you to Jesus, or that what he's saying about heaven and hell is true here, but at least starts you down the road. Makes it much more difficult to believe in this rational universe that we're all trying to push on each other. The final reason why I can't deny this is because to deny it is to deny Jesus. Simply put, that Jesus said this. And it's going to be a very tricky place for you to inhabit, for you to say, hey, I think this guy was great, even though he said some crazy stuff. Right? Like, put yourselves in the shoes of one of these disciples, right? Because they had to make this choice, like, in real time, face-to-face -face with Jesus. Jesus is up there, and he's like, hey, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, this is a really nice thing to say. I like this guy. He's a good guy. And then he's like, also, I'm the son of God. They had to have a moment where they were like, that seems like a stretch, right? And yet still, they continued to follow him. And though it doesn't feel like that because we live in this kind of quotable world where you can just pull somebody's quote out of context and be like, hey, this guy was a bad guy, but he said a good thing. 
Like, the disciples actually had to make a decision there, and I think you and I are invited to make that decision, too. You're in a very, 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 very tenuous situation, a very risky situation. If you were saying to yourself, like, I believe some of the stuff that Jesus says, and I'm going to sort of, like, take it at face value, but I believe that he was either crazy or making stuff up or manipulating to throw out this other stuff about heaven and hell and being the son of God and everything like that. I say all of that to say to me that to deny it doesn't seem like even the intellectually best option. It doesn't even follow logically in my mind. Now, I completely understand how people get there, and if you are a person that is struggling with this idea, man, I want to talk to you about this. There's nothing else that I would rather talk about than sort of like diving into these deep questions that you may or may not have about denying what Jesus is saying here. The second thing that you can do with this news is you can choose to ignore it. This is the choice that many of us make unintentionally. It's like when you get bad news and you just sort of like pretend that it doesn't exist and you hope that it goes away. Like have you ever had a check engine light come on in your car? And you're like, ah, maybe if I just drive around, I'll crank the car a couple times, maybe it'll go away. It never does. It's bad, right? Like, has anyone, has that ever really worked out where you're like, oh, check engine light, that's strange. And you just restart your car and like, oh, actually, it's running better now. That was weird. Wasn't that strange? No, 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 it creeps up on you, right? Ignoring our problems makes them worse. They don't actually going away, or they don't actually go away. Now, you may be thinking right now, like, bro, I just came here today because I was, I had to. Somebody drugged me here. I don't really want to be here. I have all this other stuff that I need to do. I have assignments at work or school or something like that. I've got to figure out this big problem I'm having in my close relationships or like I got to pay the bills. Like don't come at me with all this existential where are you going to go when you die kind of stuff, right? And believe me, I completely understand and empathize with that position, right? I don't think I'm going to be able to talk you out of it either. But the reality is and this is, again, hard news that is difficult to swallow. The reality is that you can't ignore it forever. That at some point in your life, you're going to have to, become, you're going to, have to come face-to-face -face with this news, and you're going to have to decide whether or not it's something that you believe. When you get, that get to that place and you're forced to think about it, maybe it's a close uh, death, maybe you face death yourself, going to have to answer this question of whether or not you believe what Jesus is saying here. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, for almost no one in this room, this is the worst time in your life. Now, it might be true that this is the worst time of your life, right? It could be. Some people are going through hard stuff, and that's okay. We want to be here for you. But for most of us in this room, this moment right now is not the hardest moment that you've ever faced. It's not the most difficult. And so what I would argue for, if you would say that I'm a person that would rather ignore these deep and hard questions... Take the time to do it now. Don't do it when you're faced with the time when it really matters. Don't do it when you're faced with death, when you're faced with answering this question. You want to worry about it now when you have your mind free to actually think about it. Another option that you can take as to how you respond to this news is you can believe it. You can believe this news. You can say, I believe that there is a heaven and a hell. I believe that there is a way that I could spend eternity in the kingdom of God or eternity in the fiery furnace. So what do you do then if you believe it? Well, you could try and fight and earn your way into that good category. 
I think that would be step one. You're like, what do I need to do to be in that category? You could try and not be evil or a sinner or a lawbreaker. Those are the words that Jesus uses here in this passage. You could try to be righteous. But I'm not sure that really like that is the best plan for you. I mean, you've probably done something wrong in your life already. And recognize here that even if you say like, hey, actually, I'm a good person. Most of the things that I do are good on balance. I'm like on a 50-50 scale. I'm at 51% good. You might even be a really good person and be like, I'm 60% good. You might even be an exceptionally prideful person be like, I'm 99% good. You'd really have to be like a real monster to be like, I'm 100% good. I'm perfect, right? Uh, then you need psychological help, right? Like none of us are so sort of disconnected from the world to say that everything that we have ever done is righteous and good. And I want you to recognize something important here, that Jesus doesn't seem like he's grading on a curve here. There are two categories, evil and righteous. To do evil would take you out of the righteous category, or, as Paul would put it in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin, sin simply means to do something that is against God's good plan for you and for others. It is harmful to you and to your soul, and or it is harmful to someone else, but it is ultimately against God himself. And the funny thing about sin is that even though we don't like it, right, because we don't like telling people that they've done something wrong, we don't like accusing someone of someone else, like even people that are saying like, oh, morality is all a construct and we're all making it up and we choose right and wrong and yada, 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 like even then each and every one of us have some sort of internal ticker of morality of what we think is right and wrong and all of us have broken it. Like, think about how strange that is. Even the most like philosophically high-minded person that says like morality is all made up by human beings, we choose what's right and wrong, and we just collectively as a social construct might still say like cheating on your wife is bad and then might actually do it, right? Like whatever you have set as right and wrong, even if you're not going off of the biblical text, you still have probably chosen to break your own rules once in a while. I mean, think back on this past week. Did you do it this past week? Whatever targets you've set as something good and something bad, like, haven't you broken faith with that? So what do we do? If we're all in this unrighteous category, how do we move into the other? Luckily, Paul tells us, actually, in the context of that verse that I read earlier. So I, I read verse 23 earlier. This is 21 through 24, and it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Think of the law here as just saying the, what's right and wrong, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? He is saying that although all of us are guilty and by justice deserve this separation from God and this gnashing of teeth and this fiery furnace, that God in his gift of grace gives us the righteousness of Jesus as our own so that we might enjoy exactly what Jesus was talking about. When he said the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now, I have no idea what that means, but I want it. It's a lot better than the other option. You can have it today. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to perform anything. You don't even have to be perfectly righteous. In fact, it's a prerequisite that you're not. Just believe that what Jesus is saying here to you is true. Confess to God that you're a sinner. 
recognize that you need him to forgive you. And then accept this free gift of grace and enjoy this eternal life forever. If you've never done that, if you've never actually had that conversation with God, today is the day. No one in this room would judge you. Even if you feel like you've been playing this whole Christianity game for a long time and you're recognizing in this moment that you've never actually had that conversation with God, today is the day. It is not too late. Finally, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted this free gift of grace and eternal salvation, life with him, today you can choose to share it. This is the last response that you can give to this news. This is not a news that you can keep to yourself. Now, we're talking a little bit about evangelism here, but I'm not necessarily sure that I like using that word. A lot of us in the room have like weird sort of past experiences with that. We think of like people knocking on your door and asking you weird questions, and maybe we uh, were a part of a culture that was about like guilting people into pretending to accept Jesus or something like that. But I want you just right now to take all of the sort of like, you know, if you have any baggage with that or any ideas about that, take it out of your mind. Take all that discomfort, past experience, pressure, guilt, whatever, and just imagine with me. I want you to just like take a little bit of a thought experiment with me and then we'll close. What would you do? What would you do if you were the only one on the planet that knew that there was an asteroid heading for Earth? What would you do? What if you were the only one? At first, you might ask yourself, how am I the only one? And I'm not going to take you through that part of the thought experiment. I just want you to imagine with me, right, uh, that you bought a a telescope and you were like, oh, weird, asteroid, that's strange. Uh, Who knows where NASA's at? Elon Musk is working on other stuff. I don't know what's happening, right? You are the only one in this scenario. So you might go to the news first, but who trusts the news anymore, right? You'd have like one network that's like, you're definitely right, and the next network is like, he's a monster, he's wrong, right? Like, (laughs) you'd show him your telescope, but nothing would happen, right? Uh, Then you'd probably take to social media. But the question you have to ask yourself right now, and you really do need to imagine this, is how many people right in this very moment are on social media saying an asteroid is heading towards the planet? It's gotta be at least 30, right? Like, (laughs) there are people out there, right? Uh, Somebody did this exact same thing that I'm talking about. There's crazy people out there. Uh, It's definitely, definitely already happening. So you've tried those two avenues. What do you do then? What do you do then? I think what I would do is I would end up making sure that everyone I've ever cared about knows about this. You'd probably end up like shaking them and trying to show them star charts and pictures and stuff. You'd probably end up annoying a lot of people who don't want to listen to you. But at the end of the day, you would work as hard as you possibly can to try and get them to believe you because you care about them. Now look, I'm not trying to like create some sort of like guilt trip in your mind, like please, if your mind immediately goes to like, man, it's my responsibility to save every person on this planet, then you're, you're misunderstanding me, and more importantly, you're misunderstanding Jesus. The results are not actually up to you. Like, Jesus says he takes care of that part. Nor do I think it's like sustainable, like you can't be running around like a chicken with your head cut off, just like shouting in people's faces like, hey, you should accept Jesus, like I don't, 
I don't think that's the reality. But I think what ends up happening is, man, we get so bogged down by all of the news and very often all of the bad news that we're hearing that we forget the seriousness of what we're dealing with here. Like, do you understand that my main problem with the asteroid analogy is that it's too small a thing? This is much bigger news than that. I love Jesus. Realizing that even as we were like worshiping today, that like I love him for what he has done for me. I love him for the grace and kindness that he shows to me. And here he is saying there is going to be a sorting. And if I am to take him at his word, then this is the most important thing that I could ever tell to somebody else. the task is too daunting, maybe just pick one person that you love and care about a lot. Pick one person. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.